in the first reading, we're told that we need to rejoice and rest in the gifts of God. The first reading is from Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is the word of the Lord. The psalmody for today is verses from Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? With my whole heart I seek you. I have stored up your word in my heart. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the just decrees of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight. As much as in all I will meditate on your precepts. I will delight in your statutes. In the second reading, we are told that the Sabbath is a day of rest for the people of God. The second reading is from Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listen. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he has said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. 
For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 10th chapter. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. He asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. They said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and he said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. The gospel of our Lord. All right. The word great, did this at the early church, it's kind of a fun time today, but the early church, the word great, for those that are 
English majors or language specialists or maybe just folks that get spend a lot of time in the world in the, uh, the language world. What the, the root word that we use for the word great, does anybody know what that root word is? And if you were here at the early church, no, don't answer. Zip. The, root, the root word for the word great. Come on, we got a lot of highly educated people in this road. We got leaders of corporations and bosses of whole universities. Come on. The root word for great starts with the Latin word and starts with the letter M. M A G N. Magna. Magna. Mag. So, what are, what are some words that start with M A G N? Magnificent, right? You've got something that's huge. Magnificent, right? How about another one? Uh, the earthquake was of a seven point something magnitude you have the expanse of this magnificence um how about one more mag like unanimous magnanimous like oh yeah so magna is the idea of great is this expanse and this big and it can be of name and it's just large that's mag uh, great but we have another word that's really close to great grateful does it have the same first latin part it does not just telling you straight up right now, it does not have. It's missing an E. It's, it's not G-R-E-A-T. It's just G-R-A-T-E. So there's a, there's a difference with that. So what's the root word that we use for that word for grateful? What's the first part of that? It has to do with something that's maybe for free. You receive something gratis. Free. And if you receive something at no cost to you, which is impossible, by the way, because there's always a cost. I learned this in high school economics. I learned this in college economics. I learned this it's, it's just in life. There's no Tanstoffel. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Just the way it is. There's either opportunity cost or real cost, but there's a cost to something. So, but in this idea of gratis for grace, if you receive something of tremendous price of, of that, that gratis, what's the feeling of response? It's a feeling and it's grateful. So the idea of grateful, how we use, and a grateful is a feeling. Grateful is based off of that word of gratis, of gift, of being thankful, of free. So now here we have in the start of the message, we have the idea of great, magnitude, massive, right? And then we have the idea of gratis and grateful. Now we get into the story. A young man, um, he has, I don't, I can't try, I really haven't come up with a person that would come to my accuse for a good example of this, but in our world, if you think of someone who is one of the most exceptional, say, 20-somethings in, our, in the whole United States, who is, who is one of the most successful, godly, good, intelligent, wise, disciplined, all the characteristics that you'd want to have times 10, all rolled up into one person. That's kind of what's being presented to us. This young person, this young man who's coming to Jesus, he has showed a disciplined life, both in his his private affairs, his public affairs, his religious affairs. He's just a very disciplined man. He is a very successful man. 
He has achieved things at his age that few ever would achieve. And he is actually, the one place they say a ruler, a young ruler of a synagogue. For him to be a ruler of a synagogue, he'd be like a 20-year-old become the president of the United States. I mean, he is just such an exceptional person. They've given him charge over this, which normally never happens unless you've earned it over years and you've displayed it over a life. This young person, this exceptional person, is coming to Jesus. High achiever person. Now, part of this, it's, it's almost like a positive spiraling effect up. He takes his effect up. He, he seeks his Lord. And he's been blessed by the Lord. He seeks the Lord. He's been blessed by the Lord. Because the Jewish people had the thought that, this thing that if, if you're doing what God wants, he blesses you. He gives you the lands before you. He prospers your life financially, prospers your life physically. If you have trouble in your life, it's generally a result in their thoughts is that you were alienated from God or at war with God. But if you are fully blessed, it's because God's with you and he's given it to you. So here you have this young man who's clearly seeking his Lord and God is just blessing him. And, and another part of that blessing was is that if, if you have a lot of resources and you, and you do make a mistake and you want to repent, you can buy something and you can give it as an offering to the Lord as, to atone for your sins. It was a gift offering or a forgiveness offering, a sin offering, if you will. So the rich just had access to this. One, they were blessed by God, and if they ever made a mistake, they could pay for a big offering to, the, to their Lord, and then their sins would be forgiven. They'd get right back on that track of blessing. So you had this dual thing going on with this man who's coming forward to Jesus. It's all going well for him. He is close to his Lord. He's blessed in this life. It's all good. Now what you'll notice what happens is as soon as he gets to his Lord, he does something very un-Jewish especially befitting of a man who is successful and prosperous, prosperous with his God. He runs. No dignified Jewish guy is going to run. The, the, the ones who are in control and blessed of God and wise and just all, they just kind of walk, right? They walk to their Jesus, not this guy. It tells you his heart is still good. His heart is enthusiastic for God. He's not worried about his image. He's just going to get to Jesus, and he does. That's a very good thing in this story. It's a blessed thing for us to read. We want to run to Jesus. The next thing he does, which no Jewish guy would do, and actually no really guys I know anymore would do, is he goes to Jesus' feet on his knees. What respected man with dignity and pride and control and prosperity and fame and all this? What is he going to kneel before somebody? We just don't do that. They didn't do it either. So we have this young guy running to Jesus, kneeling at his feet, and he says, good teacher. He's basically saying, good teacher, I'm good and I know you're good. God has blessed me, and I know I'm good because he's blessed me. And, and I know that I'm good because I get to say I'm for, I have forgiveness, and I get to offer these sacrifices, and, and I just know I'm good because I got the synagogue, and I, God, this is, my life is so awesome. I know I've got to be good, and I know that you're good because I can see what's going on. I've heard your reputation. So good teacher. He's basically coming at Jesus as a good guy to a good guy. And everyone can see this. And then he offers a beautiful question. And the question is actually a question that we all ask. All of us who realize that our time on earth has a limit. Mostly when we're young, we don't think about it. But the older we get, the, the closer we get to the runway's end. And we realize I'm a short timer. And I'm getting shorter and shorter in my time. My runway's end's approaching. And so as he's get, he's a young guy and he's already got this idea. He knows. Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. 
It's his question, but it's the question of everybody. It was the question of the disciples who were still close to Jesus on that day, and it's the question for everybody who's in churches today here in this Bible lesson. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good question. Now, let me uh, give an example of what this question might be like. Um, I'm going to pick on someone who's going to be very uncomfortable with this. Yeah, watch me. I'm walking over here. Watch, 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 watch. Turn around, yeah, turn around your chairs a little bit. Everybody, seriously, you've got to pay attention. This is, this is a small church. This is a family group, and, and we get to sh- learn stuff together. All right, Mr. Vertz. What must I do to inherit your house, all your properties, your business, your retirements, your cars, and all that you own. What must I do to inherit it? It's awkward, right? Beats me. Beats me, exactly, right? Now, do you, you see this? He's a successful man. He's a wise man. He's a godly man. I have a tremendous respect for Mr. Verts. If I just came up to him with sincerity and asked him that kind of a question, that's awkward. It's very awkward. It's awkward for me. It's awkward for him. I'll pick one more. Mr. Goldbluff. Yeah. Welcome. Yes. <laughs> what must I do to inherit your house and your lands, your properties, all that you have worked for, your house, your cars, everything? What must I do to inherit it? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So he, he had a chance to think about some sort of a cute answer, but really at the end of this is he doesn't have an answer, nor do I. It's awkward, Right. How can I impose on somebody? If I was to kneel in front of any one of you who has enough years in your life that you've worked for something, you've acquired something, you've gone to school, you've gotten your degrees, you've applied your efforts, you've got all this stuff going, and who am I to step up to you and kneel in front of you, just like this young guy that did to Jesus, and ask for an inheritance? There's, where's the relationship? Now, how about this? Now we'll change the context. These were just men that I know and I respect. How about now, you have to use your imagination on this one because it's not exactly true. But if, if I was the son, okay, this is not just now at this point a, a friend or an acquaintance, but now I am a son. Maybe I'm the only child, okay? I have no sisters, I have no brothers, I'm an only child. And I come over here between now with the Smith clan and I would say, Dad, Mom, what do I have to do to inherit your, your kingdom, your houses, your land, your properties, your cars, everything? What would I have to do to inherit it? Nothing. And their answer is parents, nothing. Something about the relationship changed that question, didn't it? If I was to come before any of you as a child as your children and say, Mom and Dad, what do I have to do to inherit everything that you've labored on earth for? Wouldn't it be insulting in some way for me to ask that? Because what do I have to do? It implies I, ha- I, can, I can do something to earn it. The reality of that question is, is there's absolutely nothing I can do to earn that. The only reason I as a child will receive that is because you as my parent love me and you've given your whole life for me. I don't earn it. It's a gift. And to say I earn it robs you of the opportunity to give it as a gift. How insulting is that to the parent when the child says, what do I have to do to inherit this? Knucklehead, stop asking. I just give it away. 
right? So now with that thing in mind, this young person comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit it? He's living a lie. He's thinking that there's actually something that he can do. And actually, if I was the only son, and maybe I've done well in school as, as a son to you, if you may imagine whatever the age groups are, I, I've done exceptionally well as your son. I've, done ex- I've lived a godly life as much as you can tell. I've not done foolish things in my life. I've been a source of pride for you. I've, I treat re- people well. I respect people well. I've gotten whatever, whatever merits of education and jobs would be. It, it, that doesn't have anything to do with your love for me. You just love me because you love me. To say I work for it this is insulting. So Jesus is going to call out his question is a lie. Good teacher, what must I do? His lie has two parts. The first one is based on the second tablet of the commandments. There's two sides of the commandments. There's one side that has to do with the relationship with God. And there's another side that has to do with the relationship with people. And Jesus asks him, well, you know what needs to be done. You know, do not steal, do not kill, do, do not commit adultery, um, do not covet, do not uh, deface anybody else's name, you know, that sort of stuff. He, honor your father and your mother. You know what you're supposed to do. And he says, oh, yeah, I've done that since my childhood. And there's the lie. Jesus, in another part of his book, in his teaching of the disciples, says, if you've done it in your heart, if you've committed adultery in your heart, if you've lusted over someone in your heart, if you've secretly wanted their stuff and coveted their stuff in your heart, if your motives are twisted like that, then it's just like you've done it. You've sinned. So actually, young man, you have not kept those since your youth. You've been breaking those the whole time through. But he doesn't see it that way. He doesn't see it that way. And the next thing he does, he proves that this young man is not good because only God is good. So the next thing he does to display that God is good and that this young man, no matter how much of the champion he is, that he's not good, he asks him a simple thing. First commandments, or the first batch of the commandments was to love your Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? I'm the Lord your God, you will have none before me. Do not use my name in vain, you'll keep the Sabbath holy, right? We have those codes about the person in the place of God the Father, And so this young man doesn't see his sin, but Jesus does. And he says, I know you've put something ahead of God. He says, go and sell everything you've got and give it to the poor and follow me. And he fails. And everybody sees his failure. He sins. The fact that he's been sinning is now exposed. He puts something in front of God. That is idolatry. He is not loving the Lord his God with his heart, whole heart heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's been working his way to get there, and now he's trying to earn his way into heaven, and he's just got it all messed up. He's living a lie. Proof he's not great. He's just a sinful person like everybody else. With that, Jesus says, the disciples, they're just a mess. They've come unraveled. The champion has approached Jesus. The very best of the best of the best has approached Jesus. This is, the, this is the goodest there is, if you can use that word, goodest. He's the best. And now he's been exposed that he is actually a sinner just like everybody else. And he's left defeated. And they're saying, if the champion cannot win, I have no chance. 
right? I'm just a drug addict, adulterous, drinking, louse as a father, human being, disappointing of my family my whole life. If that guy can't get to heaven, I have absolutely no chance. That's kind of what they're thinking. Who can be saved? Who can? And Jesus says, yeah, it's easier for you to put a camel through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to be saved. And rich isn't just money. It's rich in a lot of stuff, right? Rich in any puffed up way. Rich, it's impossible. Now at this point, I'll just take a little time out. It's been argued by some folks in recent times that there was between two large gates in the wall, that there was a little gate and they called it the eye of the needle because if you took all the load off of its big old camels and you got the camels on your elbows and you can crawl them through this little space and it was like an idea of being humble and whatever and if you could, you could actually get through there if you just unloaded everything you can get through. Well, that's, that's, they've worked really hard to come up with that. It's not necessarily true. 98% of this one is saying it's impossible for what it is. You can't put a camel through the eye of the needle. The camel for the Jewish people in this place and time, the camel was the largest animal Jesus could think of. They didn't have elephants there. Some of the cultures nearby said you, if you can put an elephant through an eye of a needle. It's been referenced in other literature pieces. There's no elephants in Jerusalem at the time, so Jesus uses camel. You cannot stuff a camel through the eye of a needle. If you, can't, if you can do that, then you can go to heaven, but right now you can't. It's impossible. Your task of earning your way to heaven to inherit that is impossible. It will never happen for humans, for mortals like you and me. So now that everybody's on the same desperate place, the same place where we can't, it's impossible, then Jesus steps in with the high point, the pinnacle of his book. What's impossible for you is not impossible for God. With God... All things are possible. You don't earn it. It'll just be a gift. Now this returns us back to where we started. Great and grateful. We are not great. We are not. But God is. And we're not good. Not any one of us. You put that list of commandments out there and everyone in here has broken all of those commandments. We just have. So we're not good. But God is. We are loved. If you read back to this lesson, you get to highlight in your Bibles, circle this because it's the only time. Looking for, you'll never, you won't read it in the book of Mark. One time in his book, he's going to say he looked upon a person and he loved them. Jesus, with love, is looking upon his people and saying, you can't, but I can, and I will, and I will bring you in. You didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, but I look upon you with love, and here it is. And with that, our only response as a people, as a church, is to be grateful Grateful. We've received something gratis. And our heartfelt response, thank you. God help us be that people. Amen. We will declare our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth 
and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and his seats at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sin, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray for God's people. Heavenly Father, we pray for the advancement of Christ's kingdom, that we be strong in the Lord and strive to enter into his rest and share this rest with others. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we remember all who are united in Christ by holy baptism. Being joined to our Savior and to one another, let us live our lives to show the goodness of the gospel. Let us rejoice in the Sabbath rest that is ours in the Savior. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, help us to make Christ-like stewardship a way of life at Emmanuel Lutheran. We give you thanks and praise as a source of all we have and all that we are. Help us to place you first in our lives and to become less preoccupied with material things. Help us to make your priorities our priorities and to put our faith into action. Lord, in your mercy. As we continue Emmanuel's stewardship campaign, Give us the willingness to give back the talents, treasures, and time with which we have been blessed. Help us to hear your call to be good stewards, caretakers, and managers of all your gifts. Make us share them for your purpose and according to your will. May we serve you and pray with a joyful spirit of mind and heart. Lord, in your mercy. God of ages, in your sight, nations rise and fall and pass through times of peril. Now when our land is troubled, be near to judge and save. Guide and direct those in positions of leadership and government, along with those who wear the uniform of our country, to be led by your wisdom. Give them a conscience, a desire and discernment to search, know, and to do your will. When we turn from your ways, help us to reverse our ways and repent. Lord of this world, give us your light and your truth to guide us. Lord, in your mercy. God of grace and compassion, we know that you hear our prayers. We give you thanks and praise for all answered prayers. Lord, you are the giver of life. Today we give thanks and celebrate the birth of Chase Porter, 
son of Ryan and Ashley Porter, grandson of Jim and Joanne Stockland. Faithful hearer, healer of both soul and body, we lift up before you those who are suffering in any way, physically, mentally, relationally, and spiritually. Today we remember Kurt and his family, Jeff, Marklin, Audrey, Jim, Allison, Dallas, Donna, Martha, Perry, Lissa, Dana, Greg, Stephanie, Mary, Sierra, Luke, and Regina. We ask for peace and comfort for the family and friends of Norma Rabb as they mourn her death and those we name in our hearts. Grant that their hearts and minds be guarded in Christ Jesus, Lord, in your mercy. Into your loving arms, Heavenly Father, we commend all for whom we pray. We will trust in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.